Marlon Hairston, and you're listening to the sound of the loons. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast i'm steve mcpherson and that's cal in the corner that's cal in the spotlight losing his religion on the docket today we're talking about the game against sporting kansas city and we'll be looking ahead to the start of phase two with a game against our old frenemies the houston dynamo but first we wanted to take a moment and give a shout out to the presenting partners for our 2020 season allianz alina health bell bank blue cross and blue shield of minnesota Federated Insurance, and M Health Fairview. We really want to thank those sponsors for sticking with us throughout this weird and wild season. To learn more about any of our partners, you can visit mnufc.com slash club slash partners. First of all, programming note, for all of you completionists, it was brought to my attention by our producer, Tyson Hill, that somewhere along the line during quarantine, we doubled up on an episode number. And so this is episode 113, not episode 112. So I believe I had the numbers wrong. So adjust your clocks accordingly. I just know that some people are probably stressing out about this out there. So second of all, here's my question for Cal. Cal, would you get a tattoo that would provide you with instant access to food from your favorite restaurant if it were an embarrassing and visible tattoo? How big? I'm talking about... um, I, it doesn't have to be like on your face or anything like that, but something like on your arm, you know, some somewhere that you would have to show or indicate that that you were going to get food, and it would be embarrassing. Um, I, I'm not going to outline what that would be, but it would be a tattoo that you would get questions about. But you could get—I mean, it could be anywhere. It could be someplace in in England, like instantly fish and chips from your favorite pub in London, like bam. Um, would you do that? Probably not. Okay. I just, is it worth it? I, I, I just don't think so, you know, because there's so many other, other bits of great food around, around this country in particular as well. Like, I don't know, Steve, but I, I don't think I'd do that. I'm not a tattoo guy anyway, um, yeah. but I just, uh, I don't know. I, I'd find that difficult and my wife would hate me forever as well. So, um, <laughs> But she could have the food too, you know, I mean. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'm thinking from a family perspective, feeding a family, that's not a bad shot. But yeah, I mean, uh, if it's a tattoo on your face, that could hurt because you're on TV. And then yeah. you have to explain why you have something embarrassing tattooed on your face. I'm going to yeah. go with no, Steve. Okay. I asked my brother this question also. My brother, uh, Sean McPherson, who's a, 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 works for the, is a DJ for The Current and hosts, uh, a tr- runs a trivia company. Um, he likes these questions like this. I got one from him before. And I asked him about this, if it was embarrassing and uh, on his face. And he said, I mean, sure. Uh, would it hurt his job prospects? You know, is this a problem? And he said, it's probably even a bonus, you know, because like if you're being interviewed and they're like, why do you have an embarrassing tattoo on your forehead? And you were just like, chicken wings, please. And they appeared, they'd be like, I'm hiring this guy for sure. <laughs> chicken wings for the whole office. But, but so here's the other question, Stephen. Forgive me if you clarify this or not. Um, if, um, if that happens and you have the tattoo wherever it is, um, obviously, as you said, you get the food. But if you don't have the tattoo, can you still go and buy that set food? I mean, like... So, so there's you, you don't lose access to your favorite food. 
No. Right. No. no. Okay. Well, no then. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. All right. Moving on. Uh, down to business. Sporting Kansas City game against SKC. Uh, a 1-0 loss for Minnesota United. I think that um, the thing that I mostly want to talk about here, uh, you know, including like everything about this game, including what went into putting together the starting 11 and everything, it, you know, you have to take into account the fact that this was the team's sixth game in 24 days, including four away games that all, invi- all involved flying to a city and back in one day. In this span of time, the team um, – has lost several players to long-term injuries. That's including Tyler Miller, uh, Ozzy Alonso. Some Tyler Miller's done. Ozzy Alonso, they hope, comes back. Anyways, none of these people at various times in this stretch have been available. Luis Amaria, Ethan Finlay. And then they've added completely new players, Emmanuel Reynoso. And, oh, no, I had a question about Debassi. I On the broadcast, were you saying Baki? Is that his name? Baki Debassi. Baki yes. Debassi. Okay. So they added Baki Debassi basically while being unable to train tactically in any way. It's basically been game, recovery, fitness, game, recovery, <laughs> fitness. Um, and that's not – the thing I want to say is that, that, that is, it doesn't mean that Minnesota United has it tougher than any other team. Every team is dealing with this. But I just think that – I think this game was emblematic of the way that this season, just everything's so much a roll of the dice. Like every coming up to every game for every team – if you think about, um, you know, MLS, there's so many variables already. We already feel like it's hard to assess teams at any given point. Um, there's just even less of that. There's just l- so little cushion for adjusting things. It just feels like every game at this point, we can't learn anything about these teams because <laughs> things are changing so much and they're under such pressure and no one knows when the next games are coming. So it was, it was kind of a mess, you know, like, and they did what they could with what they had, I think. That is helter-skelter of a period that I've ever seen in this sport, Steve. And, and look, 2020, as we've said several times, is just beyond bizarre. So um, anything that appears now this year, it just doesn't surprise me anymore because it's just so strange. Um, we've got no players. <laughs> we just have no players. We're so short. I think this is probably the shortest Minnesota have been in terms of having players available since they've come into Major League Soccer, Steve. I don't ever recall the injury list being as long and having this big of an effect on the team since they've come into Major League Soccer. So there was certainly, I mean, there was, I remember stretches where there would be somewhere in the neighborhood of four, five injuries, something like that to the team. Um, And I certainly, (laughs) no, 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 no. And I certainly remember times where, you know, on, you know, short rest, you had guys who just weren't ready to go and you had to put in backups and everything like that. I think the major thing there about Minnesota United specifically at this moment is what you said about the impact it has on the team. Because I think, again, because the team overall, the skill level has gone up overall on the roster, but the top end has also gotten so much better that I think, um, you know, losing, not having the ability to select Icopara to not select Ozzy Alonso, Luis Maria, Ethan Finley, Tyler Miller, not having those guys to select um, is, is a huge hit, you know, and as the, Adrian Heath had said, just looking at the, the, the goalkeeper position, you know, um, Greg Ranjit Singh, capable shot stopper, um, good goalkeeper technically did a, you know, a, a decent job. He faced a lot of shots um, because the midfield was, was really depleted in the games that he was playing and, and it, the ball wasn't getting stopped farther up the pitch. Um, he did fine, but it, it was clear that like, maybe he's not your number one goalkeeper. Maybe he just doesn't have that. He's, 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 a, he's what he is, is a good backup, a guy to step in and take, pick up the, the slack when it's needed. 
And so they've been left with Dane St. Clair, who's young and untested and is doing a, a yeoman's job, I think, right now. And a 16-year-old, <laughs> like, which obviously good things ahead for Fred Emmons, we hope. Uh, but he's 16. Like, to put, a, you know, you, you can't put a 16-year-old in goal, it seems like. So, you know, they have to find another goalkeeper. I mean, this is just, it just, when your team has not just playoff aspirations, but contending aspirations, hits like this are massive. Yeah, it's it's because of, of the severity of the injuries that Minnesota find themselves in the situation they're in, Steve. And I say that firmly having in mind that you mentioned some of the players there, Steve. Let's go through them. Tyler Miller, Ico Parra, Ozzy Alonso, Ethan Finlay, Luis Amaria are the five that stick out because they'd all be starting. They're all starters. Yeah. So it does force the hand of Minnesota United. And now, as you mentioned, we're hearing about Gregory Ranjit Singh. Aaron Schoenfeld has a little issue as well. Um, obviously, Roma Mitsunia was suspended for the game in Kansas City. So it, it was perhaps the most depleted I've ever seen Minnesota United in, in Major League Soccer. So, um, you know, what it's going to do is it is going to force their hand and they're going to have to bring in some players. And, um, you know, I think they're working on, or at least they made an inquiry in terms of um, the, the league pool goalkeeping situation. And for those unaware, the, the league pool, um, the, the goalkeeper situation is, is essentially... Um, a bunch of goalkeepers, um, what one or two, I think, maybe that's changed since I last looked at this, but it's essentially um, a goalkeeper or two that are paid by Major League Soccer. Um, uh, they have professional contracts with the league, but not with the team. And whenever the team um, is short, it doesn't matter who that team is, and they need a backup goalkeeper, they can make a request to the league for a, a league pool goalkeeper. That goalkeeper will then go to set team for... I think the limit is two weeks, I think. Um, and those goalkeepers bounce around Major League Soccer, providing cover uh, for the entirety of the year. So, to my knowledge, um, Minnesota United have made that inquiry and asked about it because, as you quite rightly say, I think it's unfair to put a 16-year-old in that position. Um, Fred Emmings has all the talent in the world and is going to be a very, very good goalkeeper if he carries on on this trajectory. But I think it would, would be unfair to, to judge if you put him in a first-team situation because he's nowhere near um, the, the finished article and, and won't be for another 10 years or so. So, um, you know, I think um, it's an area that they've got to address. And look, if, if they can't, for whatever reason, do the league pool goalkeeper. I, I know that league pool goalkeeper was ironically with the FC Dallas for our last home game. Um, and uh, I... I for whatever reason, if that can't happen, then then they are going to have to look at making a trade of some sort. And uh, you know, if they if they feel as though Ranjit Singh's injury is um, uh, to the point where he can't play this year, then then they are going to have to make a trade. And um, it wouldn't surprise me if that's the case. Yeah. So let's zero in a little bit, Cal, on on that SKC game. You know, given that situation, I feel like the game plan was 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 pretty sound. You know, the the start with the three five two. Um, or the five three two, depending on how you want to think about it, um, sort of sort of seemed almost like let let Kansas City throw its best punches, you know, through that first half, just like bunker in, and then at the half, if there was something in the game, make an adjustment and try to get a point, um, you know, out of a draw or get a goal and maybe get three points. And it took it took Sporting until the 80th minute to get that that one goal. Um, Arguably, Sporting should have had you know three goals uh, by that point. I think I went back and I looked at uh, Ben Bear of MLS of the MLS.com um, likes to tweet out expected goal 
uh, stats after games. And uh, SKC's expected goals were 2.49. Minnesota's was 0.28. They didn't have a shot on target. So that was not great. Um, but, I mean, I think that, that 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 plan was sound. Sporting Kansas City, you know, we're dealing with some of their own injury issues. Um, they have not had a good home record, which is unusual for them. I mean, the home and away records are getting crazy uh, with the way everything has been. But they have not had a good, a, a solid home record. Um, it was it was pretty close up until that 80th minute. And it's not like the floodgates opened then. It was a, a 1-0 game, you know. So I thought the game plan was decent. I thought that's sort of what Adrian acknowledged in the – the, the, the post-game press conference. I mean, essentially saying like, well, this is what we had. This is what we threw out there, you know, and this is, this is what happened. So I, I thought that the, the game plan was, was, was solid to begin with. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. I think before I go into it, um, you mentioned um, expected goals. What does that mean? Expected what, 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 Please enlighten me. I, I don't know what that, that means. Let, let's talk about expected goals. It's a fun <laughs> little uh, advanced analytic Um and again, I think that uh, I'd like to start with this with the proviso that um, having had experience in the NBA during the time when advanced analytics came through, um, it, they're not, they shouldn't be taken as a substitute for watching games. They shouldn't be taken as a substitute for having a deep understanding of, of the games and the players and familiar with the team and sort of, I think especially in soccer, they're sort of, they're, they're, they're beginning to be better, but um Soccer is not a numbers-rich game the way that, um, that baseball is, especially ba- analytics came to baseball first, really. Um, and then now it's getting into the NBA. Uh, soccer doesn't have a ton of um, numbers in it. There's sort of goals, assists, you know, and then you get into things like clearances and interceptions. Um, it's very hard to put a number on measuring um, you know, where a guy is and how good his off the ball run is because he doesn't have the ball. So, you know, there's so many moving pieces at the same time. Essentially what expected goal is, is, is trying to capture is that when a player takes a shot, um, there that where that shot is taken from is evaluated based on how likely the ball is to go in. So, um, if you're taking a shot from really far away, uh, just baseline, there's a lot more factors than that. But if you're taking it from outside the box, less of a chance of it going in than if you're taking it from, from closer to the goal. So the idea is that it's evaluating the shot quality uh, as well as whether or not the shot goes in. Because as we've said before, soccer is cruel. You can lose a game 1-0 that you dominated. Um, so sometimes when you see these expected goal maps, it, it, it sort of puts a little bit of a, of a number or a sense on this team should have scored more goals, but they didn't. The other team shouldn't have scored as many, but they got lucky and it went in. So it's just another thing to bring into it. It sort of it basically is saying that the quality of Sporting Kansas City shots was such that you would expect them to score two and a half goals. So two goals, three goals. Uh, Minnesota's was less than half. So probably ha- having scored no goals is pretty fair. It's hard to score goals if you don't put any shots on target. So, so that's my little expected goal rundown. <laughs> Okay, I appreciate that. I wasn't being facetious or rude. I was genuinely curious. I'd not heard that before. So yes, there's some good. I recommend anyone check out AmericanSoccerAnalysis.com. Uh, they have uh, also done some interesting uh, work on Goals Plus, which is a little more in-depth statistic that takes into account things like receiving passes and then whether you are sending that pass forward or if you're sending it to the side, different ways to evaluate how much you're sort of adding to the team. Uh, that's that statistic is still sort of in its infancy. Uh, it's still got sort of a small um, sample size for right now, but uh, there, there's a lot of interesting stuff over there. I, I recommend those, those chaps at American soccer analysis.com. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll check it out, Steve. Um, 
In terms of the, the actual game itself, yeah, I, I agree with what you said earlier on, Steve. I, I thought it was perhaps one of the, the best setups that they could have gone with. I think with the players that they had available to them, I think it would have been difficult to, to do the traditional 4-2-3-1. Um, it could have possibly done a 4-3-3. I must admit that's what I expected. Um, but I think um, going with, with a solid three centre-backs in the first half, I think was um, was a good idea to, to try and limit Kansas City. But for me, Steve, the where the issue was, and, and this is why I was a little bit surprised with, with the formation, that the main issue uh, that you're always going to go up against Kansas City in, um, you're always going to struggle to contain them from a wide position. Um, so uh, playing wing-backs, I thought, was was interesting because we, we never really got to see, you know, was, um, you know, Raheem Edwards, what, what was his role? Was he actually a wing-back or was he a wide player? Was he a left-back? It, it sort of, seemed as though he was a bit of everything, which essentially is what a wing-back is. But I, I just thought um, I thought that was the wrong call um, in Kansas City, if I'm totally honest. Having said that, on the other side, I thought Marlon Hairston, who was a much more defensive-minded player, stuck to his, his guns and his, and his role very, very well indeed. So I, I think it, de- it depends on, on the player you play out there as to whether or not they can be successful. But, um, you know, it, it was obvious, again, that Kansas City, because they've not changed how they've played for 10 years... Um, they've just freshened up the faces a bit. Um, it was obvious how, how they were going to approach it. And um, like, like you said, Steve, you know, I, I thought Kansas City uh, were deserved winners in the end. You know, let's, let's, not, um, let's not pretend here. They were deserved winners. Um, it could, maybe even should have been much more than, than 1-0. I thought Dane St. Clair was, was very, very good, made some saves that, that he needed to make. And some saves you would expect him to make, but he made some really good saves that I thought... Um, I, I thought some of the saves he made later, particularly in the second half, were, um, I, I thought they were obvious signs of growth um, from a personality point of view, a confidence point of view, but, but more importantly, a playing point of view. And, and um, it was obvious he, he, he was learning on the job, um, which is fine. There was one save, I think it was in the first half, where he came rushing out to deny Kyrie Shelton, which I thought was particularly impressive. Um, so he looks confident. Uh, I thought he was really good. He, he was one of the bright spots, I thought, uh, for Minnesota United. I thought Michael Boxall, again, was about as solid as could be. Um, sure. He's just so reliable, Michael Boxall is, you know, and, and he's, um, he is a real stallion at the back for Minnesota United. He never, ever lets you down. Um, uh, but, but I thought one of the other bright spots was the, the full debut of Baki Dibasi as well. I, I thought considering he's only been in the country for a couple of weeks and he's only been training for, for a handful of, of days leading up to the game as well, at least with the team, um, I thought he looked very good. I thought he looked accomplished. I thought he read the game well. Um, he's uh, a big, strong, powerful individual who uh, obviously has a bit of pace about him as well, but I thought his reading of the game was very good. Um, there were several times where Kansas City tried to break through and, and, and he, he read the pass immediately and intercepted. Um, so, look, I mean, obviously it was a defeat for Minnesota, but, but I thought there were plenty of positives to take from it, um, considering it was essentially, you know, not even the B team out there, really, with all due respect. You know, I know there was one or two first-teamers out there, but, um, you know, going to Kansas City is never easy anyway, regardless of the form that they're in. It's never easy going there. So I thought, with all that in mind, um, I, I thought it was a, a good performance, plenty to build on. Um, but look, let, let's let's not beat around the bush here, shall we? Kansas City should have won about three or four nil. But yeah. the simple fact of the matter is, is that there were some um, good defensive displays from from a couple of individuals, and I thought Dane St Clair had a good evening as well. 
Yeah, I think that um, Dane is, has, has been good uh, in goal, and I think learning on the job is, is great. He's obviously talented, and I think he's, he's getting better. Um, some of, several of the center backs have talked about how he's particularly vocal for a guy who's, who's so young. He's certainly not lacking for confidence, I believe, as you had said before, I think. Uh, and I think that will serve him well. Um, you know, maybe eventually they bring in somebody who, who will go back to starting over him, but I think this, this span of games is going to be tremendously valuable for him. I thought um, uh, Bahi Dibasi was, um, looked great, you know, like with all the problems, as you said, for having only this being sort of his first full game action. And, and much like, I believe much like Reynoso, hadn't played since March or some February or March or something like that. So um, I certainly think that, you know, provided that Aiko Parra is, is um, able to rejoin the team at some point, if, you're, if your center back core is Michael Boxall, Bahi Dibasi, Aiko Parra and Jose Ahab, just based on Aha's returns, that's a tremendous four-person group. You've still got Brent Coleman on on loan right now. He's still with the team. So that that's a solid – I mean, that, that allows you to play a three-man back line and not feel like you're drafting somebody in just sort of out of necessity, um, which is which is any team would like to have that. I think, as you said about Cal, as you said about um, sporting and, and going there – you know, again, it's, it's, it's just sort of circle back to the schedule question. You know, if you're looking at a game, if you're, if you have a full schedule, let's say you have an entire schedule of games as opposed to what we have, which is knowing what's, you know, happening next week um, against a conference opponent where you're two of the top three teams in the conference, um, you know, you're about, maybe we're halfway through the schedule. Are we? I don't know. Maybe, um, you know, your regular sports brain, everybody's regular sports brain says they have to go for it. Like you have to put out your best 11 and win this game. This is a, a conference opponent. You know, you're just fighting for the top of the table, but you just don't know like that. That sports brain doesn't apply anymore. Like how do you game plan when you don't like at the point when you're really planning for SKC? I don't think we even knew what the next games were going to be. You know, like that only came out a couple days before. And I don't think, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure other people know more than I know. I'm certainly not up high up on the chain of, of decision-making for this, but I think reasonably surely, like not that many people knew about what the plan was for phase two. And right now nobody knows what the plan is for phase three. So how do you even game plan for like what this game is going to mean in the, in the full schedule? It's really hard to assess that. And I think that just, that's another contributing factor, Cal, to just making the season feel completely weird and silly yeah i think i think this is probably the best time to use the old cliche steve of taking one game at a time because what what else can you do literally what else can you do and especially when the games are you know three or four days apart from each other as well it's so difficult to get any sort of meaningful training session together as you mentioned previously you know so um look i i completely understand why why the coaching staff opted to play the way they did in Kansas city as, as we've said the, the, the squad is is beyond depleted with injury um, and also, um, there was, there really was the element of surprise, not only for Kansas City, but I think for the majority of, of people watching um, on television or listening on the radio, that there was, um, there was that element of surprise. And, and, and I tell you now, Peter Vermees uh, had absolutely no idea that that was going to be what Minnesota United were doing. I spoke to one or two people in Kansas City um, the day after the game, and they all said, yeah, it absolutely threw everybody off. So... Um, I think the coaching staff deserve credit for that. Um, it also, uh, in my opinion, um, leads to, to the opinion that I think the players deserve credit for that as well because, again, they wouldn't have had much time to work on this particular system as well. And yet they were away on the road in a difficult place to play, adapting to the situation. So um, yeah. I, I thought the one thing you can't take away from them was, was the effort because I thought that they, 
absolutely ran their socks off again in the heat of Kansas City. You know, I, I thought they, they gave a really good account of themselves. And then obviously there was a little more of a, a senior look about them um, into the second half. And particularly mm-hmm. when, when the likes of, uh, of Molino and Lerd and Reynoso came on, um, the, the one thing that was just glaringly obvious, Steve, is that they don't have an outlet. Obviously, Mason yeah. Toy is the only fit striker on the roster at the moment. Yeah. Again, it's an area that the club are going to have to look at. Um, we don't know how long the injury is going to keep Luis Amaria out for. We don't know how long the injury for Aaron Schoenfeld is going to keep him out for either. And, and as you quite rightly said, with us not really knowing what the rest of the season looks like, we might have three games left. We might have ten games left. We don't know. So right now, it's very possible that because of some of the injuries and the length, to, to our knowledge, that some of the players could be out, their season could be done. So with that in mind, you have to go and add some pieces. You have to go into the, into the trade market and look at some individuals. So for me now, I, I think right now what the team need to do is, is they need to go out and get some experience. They need to go out and get a, a veteran or two. Um, and they need to do it quick. Um, I mean, as I said, for, for me, it would really make sense to get to get somebody up front who, um, and I say it's not easy to do this. I'm, I'm, you know, perhaps I should reserve judgment here, but it, it's it's not easy to go out and get the type of player I'm about to say would be perfect. Minnesota need to go out and get somebody who the three behind the forward can play off. They need to go and get a big man, in my opinion, but they need to go and get a big man that can score goals and a big man who is experienced in the world of Major League Soccer. This this for me is is an area that I think they could they could really really um, strive in if 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 they go out and get the right individual. Um, I don't know who's available. I don't know who's out there. Um, what's what's, uh, what's Angelo Rodriguez? <laughs> <laughs> but the issue with Angelo Rodriguez was he was never a natural goal scorer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the, you know the, the team needs some goals right now from the forward right. position. You know so. Um, it's a real shame that Amaria has got himself injured because I thought he started the season magnificently and there was so much potential there. Um, but I think now, just, just to watch their own back, they, they need to go out and get some some MLS veterans in, um, at, at least one, you know, just to go and and, and perhaps um, be a voice in the locker room as well, you know, because whilst there's still lots of... Um, Lots of big characters and leaders in that locker room. For example, Michael Boxall is a is a wonderful leader um, who players look up to, and um, you know he's he's been magnificent, as we say. You know, I, I'm sure he could do with a bit of help leading leading the locker room from time to time. So, I, th- I think they need to go out and get a veteran. I think they need to go out and get somebody who they know can do a job. Um, they also might be forced into doing uh, an internal MLS trade as well, Steve, because. Getting somebody over from an international point of view now takes a lot longer than it has done simply because of COVID nineteen. So, um, I I would expect something to be to be done here in the next week or so. Um, I hope anyway. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's it is an issue in my opinion. Uh, Mason Toy gives you plenty, but th- there are issues with him as well, no doubt. And, and I don't need to go into those because I think people can see. Um, I think Minnesota needs somebody now who the three can play off. They need somebody who who is is excellent in the box and that, that takes their chances. That has a proven record of scoring in Major League Soccer, in my opinion. Um, as I said, it's it's not easy to to accomplish that. You know, there's a reason why these these players are on big money and, and are playing at teams uh, and will demand a, a a big trade fee or a you know a, a big player going the way or whatever. I have no idea, but um, there's a reason for that. It's because they've scored goals. Um, and Adrian always says it, doesn't he? You know, the goal scorers are the ones that have paid the big money for obvious reasons. So, 
uh, for me, that's what the team need to do. They need to go out and uh, after making a splash on Reynoso, they perhaps need to make uh, an internal splash <laughs> and get a, a proven centre forward. And as I said, it, it's not as easy as we're um, making it seem here, but if, if it's possible, um, I, I would encourage them to, to go and get somebody who's proven. Yeah, internal splashes are always the hardest to manage. I, um, I feel like also... Um, it, talking about those MLS veterans, I think that's one of those things that that Minnesota United, you know, has always had a healthy contingent of of veteran players from the beginning. You have the likes of Colin Warner and um, you know Jermaine Taylor and sort of different players who have come in in that role. I think the thing about the roster as it is right now, though, is that I think a veteran at this point can be a real force multiplier in a way that those guys maybe were not because you have a top end of the team that's that's yes. of much higher quality. Because I think you know you brought in those veterans to be stable; they knew the landscape and things like that, but. They, they, there was a limit to how much they could add um, because of just there wasn't that top-end potential. But you look at a guy like Reynoso, you look at um, Molino getting a lot more space because of Reynoso, you look at Robin Lud looking good on the right the right side, you've obviously got a strong defense, and uh, you know, got Romain Metinier. Uh, adding just a solid vet can give you so much um, because of some of that institutional knowledge and just that sense of what their role is. And sort of along those lines, another thing I wanted to bring up with that, talking about playing the three-five-two. Um, you know, without too much tactical preparation, it shows one of the benefits of having guys with multiple kinds of experience and international experience. I believe Michael Boxall specifically said, you know, I played in a three-man back line for the national team for New Zealand. So, and it's a role he's comfortable with there. So you can adapt some of those things. When you're bringing guys in, you know, who are young, obviously we want to play, you want to play your young players and give them experience. But there is something to be said for like, hey, when we have to make tactical shifts, it's great to have people who have knowledge of many different systems that they can step in and say, oh, I played a three-man back line. I played a two-man back line. I played wing back. I played winger. I can move around. Um, so I think that's one of the, that's also one of the good things about having those guys, um, some of those sort of utility midfielders, Raheem, uh, Marlon, um, uh, James Musa, to an extent, you know, like guys who, who can fit into a couple different places and have played in those different places. And so they have a certain degree of comfortability, as you alluded to, Cal, Marlon, more comfortable sort of falling back, maybe falling back a little too far on some, in some situations. Um, and Raheem, a little more forward thinking. I also would maybe have liked to see a little more of a five, three, two than a three, five, two, um, as far as that game went. But Again, um, there was a lot of things to build on from Sporting Kansas City. Let's talk about what they're building towards uh, for this week. They get a whole week of training and rest and rehabilitation. Uh, going back to face the Houston Dynamo in the Dylan Wolpers Derby number 28, I think, at this point. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the lineup. I mean, we've sort of gone around it and talked about, you know, different people. Reasonably, hopefully, rest should hopefully not really be an issue for this game. Hopefully, the guys haven't gotten a little bit of a rest at SKC. Um, and then having a week to sort of recover and train. There's obviously the injuries are still there. But what do we think as far as uh, lineup this weekend? I mean, I would expect that Adrian's going to want to go back to that 4-2-3-1 if he can. Um, you know, and I would expect Dane St. Clair is going to be in goal. I don't think we have any issues about that. I mean, I don't, I don't expect the pool goalkeeper to take the starting spot. Um, let's, let's move to the back line. I mean, I hope what we're seeing is Gasper. I'm thinking Debassi, Boxall, and Metonier is what I'm thinking in the back line. Yeah, I wouldn't have any disagreements with you there, Steve. I think that was one of the, if not the main positive from that game in Kansas City, was the partnership between Boxall and Debassi. So um, I, I would have no disagreements with you there at all. I think Gasper um, added an element of stability when he came in against Kansas City. Uh, and and Roma Metonier still, for me, remains one of, if not the best right back in Major League Soccer as well. So... 
um, he will uh, he will be welcomed back with open arms. Yeah, and I think that again, Jose Aja, I think was better than advertised. I, I, I didn't yes. expect him to be as good as he has been. But you also you you signed Debassi to play that left center back. He's naturally left footed. I mean, you you paid for him. I think you have to go put him out there. Well, the the only thing I'll say there, Steve, is um, if they still feel as though Aha is is worthy of a starting spot, which in my opinion he still is, uh, maybe they'll want to give Chase Gasper a little more of a rest and, and play Debassi at left back, possibly. Sure. But, yeah, it depends know. on how the week goes. You know, I'm sure they'll see if if I mean Chase is Chase is one of those guys who's never going to admit that he doesn't want to he he can't play. He's he's always going to try to go out there. So you're going to have to drag him off the field with like the jaws of life or something like that. But yeah, maybe you see Debassi out at, out, out wide. Um, and then midfield uh, pivot positions, Greg Ush and Dotson, I think have looked good. Um, I believe Ozzy Alonso will not going to be ready to go yet. Um, and I think it's important. Again, this is a good time to see how that partnership is between Greg Ush and Dotson. And it's sort of come up a couple of times in post-game discussions, Adrian Heath talking about how, you know, Dotson Hassani's skill is really foraging for the ball, I believe is the phrase he used, which I love that phrase. Um, he wants to go out there and push forward. He can hit those shots. Gregus can also hit those shots, but it's sort of going to be Gregus's job to dr- drop a little bit. He plays the six for his national team. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes one of them is going to go up, they're going to, but they need to develop that partnership and know when, who is going and who is falling back and things like that. And I think it's worth seeing how that develops. So that's what I think for the, that's my vote for the pivot. Again, you wouldn't have any argument from me, Steve. I think they're the two obvious choices right now with, with the various injuries that Minnesota United have. Um, as you said, though, I, I think what has to be solidified over the next couple of games, really, if this is going to be the partnership moving forward, is, is who is the deep lying of the two. And uh, I think we've seen an example of young Greg who's taking that responsibility over the course of uh, the last couple of games that they've played together, which um, I have no problem with. I think Asani Dotson is much more effective when you play him in that box-to-box role, and he is allowed to move forwards. Um, he can score goals. We've seen them. Um, bangers only, or whatever people are saying nowadays, you know. We, we, we've seen them. So um, I, uh, I, I'm i a big fan of Asani Dotson. I think the fact that he's so young as well, he can get up and down the field uh, a lot quicker than young Gregus can as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Gregus is comfortable dropping deep and playing that deep-lying playmaking role. Um, as long as he understands he has defensive duties as well. Um, there were one or two times, uh, I believe, in fact, it was the game against Houston, the last game, which um, wasn't too long ago, I thought Jan Gregus um, had a lot of issues uh, against this particular team. Um, and um, let's hope they don't repeat themselves. I, I, I'm a big fan of Jan Gregus. I um, think he's, he's one of the more crisper strikers of the ball that I've, I've seen uh, for Minnesota United. Um, delivers a lovely direct pass. Um, so for, for me, the deep lying role suits him a lot more. I just think, you know, when, when he's playing in, in, in a deep lying role, he, he, he has to combine the role of defensive midfielder as well. He, he yeah. has to. Um, otherwise, that, that back line will, will be exposed a lot more than they want to be. Yeah, it's, it's going to be tricky because I think Gregorish has, a, has a, a sort of a better a better game sense overall than Hassani Dotson right now, simply from seasoning and understanding and having seen more reps and more games and things like that. But I think sometimes it's not, I think it's a special kind of attention to be able to split your, your attention between that, that, that deep line playmaking role and looking for opportunities and also being aware that you have to, you know, you have to cover the back line um, because that's going to be, that's going to be huge for him. I mean, I, I believe it's something he can do, but it's probably going to take some time for that to completely settle in. As far as uh, the attacking three right now, I mean, Kevin Molino, Reynoso, 
and Ludd looked great. Why mess, why mess with success? Those guys in, the, in those positions from left to right are doing great work. So just don't, don't touch anything. Emmanuel Reynoso, we've talked about him a lot already on this podcast, but he's just going to get better. So keep it going. Yeah, as we've said before, Steve, what's scary about this and, and what's exciting from a Minnesotan point of view is that Reynoso is not even 80% fit yet. And already he's looked fabulous and has been a major difference maker, in my opinion, already. So um, he's had a week to prepare. Um, I believe he was um, looking or, or, or has already got himself a place to live somewhere as well, which, believe me, it, it helps when you get settled in quickly. Massive difference. Um, so I, I think um, all, all of that will have helped this week. And, and, and he would have um, gotten a bit of uh, a, a familiarity about uh, about his schedule and, and his new life here in Minnesota. It, it absolutely helps. And, yeah. and also um, he'll have an element of familiarity with the players on, on, on the training pitch as well. Because literally the last couple of games, he may have squeezed one and a half training sessions in. And yeah. there would have been direction, no doubt, but a lot of it was down to him as the individual. Now they would have had a week to have worked um, and prepared for a certain opponent as well. So uh, I'm excited, Steve, that, as you said, the, the, the three behind the forward have been magnificent over the course of the last few days and um, uh, last few games, rather. And uh, Feels not, like the last couple of days. <laughs> yeah, it, it absolutely. Does. So uh, no, no need to change it whatsoever. All right, so last thing, the, the man up top, uh, that, that forward position. Let's say, now Schoenfeld, you know, he could be ready to go. We have heard, this. I think he's sort of more questionable than out right now. Um, if he can't go, it's toy, right? What else are you going to do? But it, let's say, let's just say he could go. You talked about maybe Schoenfeld getting the nod in SKC just because going on the road, you can play a little more direct. Do you feel the same way about Houston if he can go? Do you say, let's just start Schoenfeld? Yeah, absolutely. If he's fit to go, I would start him, absolutely. I think um, what I noticed about Schoenfeld is his movement off the ball is is much better than I, than I ever thought it would be. And, and I say that with all due respect. Um, when, when you think of a big man and a, and a target man, you you often, whether it's right or wrong, you often think of a, a, quite a, a limited forward. Um, and that's not the case with him at all. Um, mm-hmm. He actually is very good off the ball. He, he drags defenders out of position. He moves out wide a lot, which is rare for a, a target man. Um so I would play him. Um, and like I said, I, I would go direct. I think it's okay to do that in Houston. I, I would get the ball up to him as quickly as possible um, and, and have him play off of the three behind him. So uh, like you said, if, he, if he's available, that's that's fantastic. If not, though, um, it is down to Mason Toy again to, to be a little more patient, um, to understand the situation that he's in, uh, to understand that when he's, when he's got the ball at feet, uh, there are other options available to him not just to drop the shoulder and, and go at people um it's important for him to understand what to do with space and when he sees space where to go um and uh, look he, he's a bag of enthusiasm he always wants to learn he always wants to get better uh, i like mason toy um i think he's got a lot of learning to do still but but there's there's no doubt that there's there's genuine quality there there's a player in there somewhere um, and I just wonder, Steve, you know, with, with the three players behind him, if, if they are the three that we have suggested, um, you know, there's, there's one thing you won't be short of, and that's service. And I, I wonder if, if a Mason toy who correctly toes the line and makes the appropriate runs and does things the right way in his role in this team, I wonder how effective he can be with those three players behind him. I think the answer is very. 
Yeah. Um, so let's turn, before we go, let's turn to Houston a little bit. I, we obviously, we previewed Houston not that long ago. We talked about Jeremy Quintero, Christian Ramirez, our old buddies, and, um, you know, sort of their, their, their system overall. Obviously, the big change likely to be coming is that they'll be without Albert Felice. Um, mm-hmm. He is apparently traveling to Portugal today uh, to finalize his move to Boa Vista to join uh, Reggie Cannon. Um, how much of a difference does this make to Houston's attack? To me, it feels colossal because if you look back at, at, um, at the game against, uh, at, against Minnesota United, he was contributing, uh, to, to at least two goals, I believe. Um, and, uh, he's an incredibly dangerous player. I mean, as I was watching, I feel like I was just discussing with the other people on the digital team. I mean, especially that game, we looked particularly not good, but we were just like, Albert Lee is better than every player on our team, just the way he's out there playing um, at that at that point in time. So it seems like a pretty big blow to Houston that they're going to have to, I mean, they have a good attack still, but that's 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 a big piece that they're going to be missing. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think he's, um, you know, I think there are better footballers on, on the Minnesota United roster than Albert Elise, but but I think... Not on that night. Not on that night there were not. Well, on, on, I, think, <laughs> I think there are better footballers, Steve, but I think I think on that night he was more effective. Sure. Um, right, but in sure. terms of having the ball at feast, I think there are better footballers. I think Emmanuel Reynoso is a much better footballer than, than Albert Elise, but I think um, Elise is, is somebody who um, obviously um, he, he can go to the byline and, and play the ball in um, with great effect, but he can also cut him rather dangerously uh, and cause issues as well. So to, to answer the question, Steve, it, it's it's a massive loss for Houston Dynamo. But um, I, I think they might have something up their sleeve because they, they surely would have been preparing for this day for a long time because it was only, what, a year ago I was told that a Premier League team had inquired about him. Um, and and, and I, said, I was saying this to Kindred St. Auburn as well. I'm surprised with the destination, Boa Vista, because... Um, they're not the top club in Portugal. I'm not saying they're towards the bottom. They're, they're a top four team in Portugal. But um, maybe there's a new project that we're unaware of at Bovista or something, and, that, and they'll become a, a big team, a bigger team over the course of the next couple of um, couple of months. I don't know. But you know, when when you think of a big move to Portugal, there's two clubs that really come to mind, and, and that's that's Sporting and um, and FC Porto, and, and um, you know, he's opted to, to go to, to Bovista and. Uh, I, I always expected him to go, Steve. I, I expected him to go at some stage to Europe. Um, but but I think Houston Dynamo also expected that as well. Um, the signing of Nico Hansen gives them a little bit to play with. Um, the addition of Ariel Lasseter, who actually played out on that right-hand side um, yeah. in their last game against FC Dallas, also gave them a little bit to tinker with as well. I personally think Lasseter's better through the middle, but he, he has enough pace about him to, to play out wide. Um, and, and to be fair, the Dynamo right now, with the way they're playing, but they don't play with... Um, you know, stereotypical wide players. They are inverted wingers and, and Lasseter will, will join the attack, much like Darwin Quintero, through the middle. So um, it's a big blow for them, Steve, not out about it. But like I said, I mean, maybe we see Lasseter out there again and maybe Nico Hansen comes into the equation. I, I don't know. But either way, it, it is a big loss for Houston Dynamo. And um, I would expect them to, to address the issue with whatever funds they will have available to them once the sale is complete. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Houston is always fun to watch. Um, I mean, not so much when they're destroying Minnesota United, but, you know, like it's the era Lasseter had a lot to him, I thought. I enjoyed watching him in the last game. Um, you know, so I think that um, it's it's going to be interesting. Again, these patterns are hard to determine. Houston started poorly, has played well recently. Who knows where it's going? They tend to be very good at home and not as good on the road. But again, the home road thing doesn't mean anything. Basically, Kyle, what I'm saying is we don't know anything. 
No, we, we don't really think. And in terms of their lineup as well, for, for those on, on watching the, the YouTube version of this, I'll put up what I had from, from their last game here, um, which okay. is, you know, it, it, it is to be expected, really. Um, Vera will, will sit deeper. Um, Rodriguez has, has had a fabulous campaign so far. And I think uh, Darwin Seren here has mm-hmm. perhaps had his best um, his best campaign so far. But whatever Tab Ramos is doing differently with him, it seems to be working. And, and he has become a threat from the centre of midfield. So that's something that Minnesota are going to have to watch out for as well. Um, there are very well-organised teams, Steve. And uh, as we've said about Kansas City, we'll say the same about Houston. It's never easy to go there and get something. Um, but I think um, Minnesota United, with, with a... A roster um, and players that are available to them that are fit, if it's the team we expect and, and the more senior figures to be available, then I think this could be an intriguing competition. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us for the 113th, not 12th, 113th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on Saturday, September 19th at 7 p.m. as the Loons head to the Lone Star State to face the Dynamo. Lone Star is a great beer. Have you ever had Lone Star beer, uh, Cal? think so down in texas i think i'm out of yeah it's, it's like the official beer of south by southwest in austin so it's, it's like it's like a pbr but it's it's pretty good so um I, I recommend it next time anybody can travel anywhere um to face the dynamo you can watch that on fox sports north plus yes okay first two on plus last one on okay and listen on score north be sure to leave us a nice review on itunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on twitter at mnufc you can follow Cal at CalWilliamsCom and me at Steve Entris. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you. People can like you exactly as you are. Hey.